I always used to give Owen Sheehan a good bit of grief for his power rankings. They aren't easy, Will. As a group, as players, we have not done one minute of video analysis of any team this year. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Brian Gartland is with us. Former footballer, Brian Gartland. How's that resting with you? Uh, yeah, first time I've heard that, so it sounds... Uh, I'm not dealing with it too well, so no. I don't know, it didn't sound too great, but um, yeah, listen, it is what it is, and uh, it's uh, a chapter, a great chapter of my life, I suppose most of my life so far, that's that's passed by, and um, yeah, it's a transition. Looking forward to the future and seeing what it brings, but uh, obviously going to miss it terribly. You must, obviously everybody knows at some point you're going to have to stop playing. Were you one of those people who were like, oh, that's definitely going to happen, I'm making plans for that, I'm making peace with it, I'm going to live every moment, or are you like, no, I'm not going to think about that until the day before it happens? Yeah, I, I have a few things going on outside football, so everyone was sort of presumptuous and I sort of convinced myself as well that, oh, that's going to be grand, you yeah. know, you've got other interests, it's going to distract you, but um, I don't think it comes down to that, I think when it comes down to it, I thought it was Peter Pan, uh, you know what I mean, I always said play forever durability for years until I was 34 and then I had a bad injury and, uh, so I was like right 37, 38 if I can stay at the top to that now I know people say that you know players don't and no one does um, they do more now than they used to though they do now but in the League of Ireland it's a different it's a different story you're not earning a fortune you don't have you can't rest all day you can't have someone mind the kids and do all the work for you. And you know you have to have other things, other stresses come into your life and and life changes and that sort of thing. So you you're not sheltered from everything else like you would be. I'd say I'm looking at Pepe and Thiago Silva. Yeah, like and they have chefs. Yeah, they've got everything. You know, <laughs> um, so that was that was the aim. Though I fell a little bit short of it, so um, kept going uh, as long as I could, just because I loved the game, just wanted to play, and it's it's. Um, it's that that is, I suppose the last while, and I knew it's been coming. And I was watching the World Cup, and like the emotions in the World Cup, I think it exemplifies it more than any other football tournament, Premier League, and like that. I think the World Cup just brings out every emotion yeah. in it. Yeah. And I'm looking at that, like even the intensity of the tackles and the games, like from other international games, and and that from the very first group game. Yeah, and I'm looking at that, and going, oh. Oh my god! Gonna miss that? Yeah. How am I gonna replace this? It's funny. The guy texted. You, I messaged you during the week, and I was like, "Congratulations!" And then you were like, "I don't know if it's congratulations or commiserations." <laughs> like, how do you? Should it be? Which should it be? Like, do you, are you happy or sad? Ah, uh, listen. I'm reflecting back on on the career, and you know, I'm delighted with it, and couldn't have dreamed for some of the experiences I had. And it's I suppose the old saying, "Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened." Uh, it couldn't be any truer. And you just got to say, it is what it is, and you get on with it. But yeah, it was. Uh, I posted up the retirement. I, I specifically did it when I was on my own because uh, I'd had a few tears earlier on the day, and then I was sitting on the train down to here. I actually ended up in the pub around the corner and on my own posted it up. And it took me half an hour. I had it all prepared, whatever. It took me half an hour to press the button. Jeez. So that was just sort of. And it's not dramatic, and it's just football just means that much to me. Um, and you're closing the door on it and like I said all those experiences and all those feelings um, and all those people as well you know the, in the dress rooms I've been lucky I've been in some fantastic ones the one at Monaghan was was brilliant and great crack you know a real introduction to it and then some dark over the years I've shared the 
dressing room with special special players and people like uh, we talk about all the the players that have such talent but they're brilliant brilliant lads like you know and great respect for each other which you don't always get in, in dressing rooms it's funny how you, you mentioned Monaghan first you won five league titles and and obviously the the um, the medals mean a lot because that's kind of why everybody gets drawn into it in the first place. But the bit that seems to live with players who play for so long at the level you play that is is actually and it's always a cliche. It's like it is it is the crack and it is the the people along the way. Everybody always says it, and so it is cliche. But it's obviously really fundamentally true that like the thing that keeps you going is the relationships and wanting to help other people and wanting to be part of a team. And that's the bit that you can't easily yeah. replace. Yeah, that's it. You, you know, you f- you feel part of something. You belong to something. Um, people rely on you. You're relying on other people the whole time. And like you said, just the interaction. Just you're all working towards something. But at the same time, the crack. Like a, a footballers, sort of uh, banter, I suppose is the word that's always used. Is it's just uh, you don't get it outside. I don't get it outside the same. Um, and just there's always something there's that many different characters if you've always 20 lads in yeah. one dressing room you're going to have that many different characters and like I said Monaghan was brilliant for it, it was my first sort of introduction of that um, and I had a manager that um, made me feel really appreciated there and then who was that? Mick Cook right um, great man so, and just so much time from and I was a young lad uh, at where did he get you from? from Shelburne right so um, and Shelburne had been tough because they'd lost everyone they'd gone through the the worries you know after the I suppose money problems and that and we were a young team so there was a lot of pressure on us in a, in a big club um, and it was a nice learning curve but it was you know it was tough but it was a learning curve and then Mick then took me to Monaghan and um, yeah first experience like that and every year I was there three years but we we built something like from Monaghan where bottom half of the of the first division yeah and each year we built something and then we just got pipped by a Derry City team that had trouble or whatever but they had a Premier Division team playing in the in the first division and we just got pipped there on the end of the season to, to the league title um, but each year something had built and when you're working towards something like that and you can see the progression you, f- you feel part of it like you said and when you were leaving Shells to go to Monaghan did you was there part of you that was like this might not happen for me like, did you doubt at any stage that you were going to continue to make it? Yeah, and I'd had a flip, like, in the space of 18 months. I'd been in Bray's, I was probably about 18, in training with Bray's first team, and they were mid-table in the Premier. The league here was flying, there was plenty of money in the country, and yeah. uh, Bray's ambition was to get into the European spaces, and I had ambition, I had this ambition, I was chatting with Shane before, I was like, right, I want to get into the first team, get into the Irish under-21s, get a move away, all that, and then change of managers and uh, an unfortunate uh, turn of events I ended up suspended for a few months and I just wasn't going to get a look in there so I went to Shells and um, again got experience of playing mightn't have been the best season but it stood to me uh, and then yeah I went down to the bottom and had to had to work the whole way up it's, it, well I'm sorry no, I was just taking like I was just looking at the, your book is sitting behind you in the studio like I'm just taking it, mu- it, it must be nice to have gone through that and put these stories down on paper so now you can kind of now that you've retired look back and you have them all documented it's not, it's not like you're going to yeah. forget anything you know you have it I, there I had said especially at Dundalk we were we were winning trophy after trophy and Stephen always had this thing about being relentless uh, and that's what we were then you know he'd instilled this in us and each time we won and listen we had great celebrations we 
we'll enjoy it and you gotta celebrate moments like that um, but it'll be the next one oh, that's that's done it's in the back there it's the next one it's the next one it's the next one I always said when I retire I'll you know, I'll enjoy it and look back and be proud. But the book allowed me to do that before I retired, and that was because of COVID and the, I suppose the, the lockdowns and football stopped. So, um, and it allowed me to, I suppose I learned a lot. You know, going into all these occasions, all these situations, and reflecting on them, I'm thinking, whatever opinion I had at the time, I could have actually had a different opinion now when I look back and say, see if I'm say someone else's point of view say Stephen's point of view if I had an altercation with him and that and it's like well, maybe he was right but I was a younger lad a few years you know it might have been five six seven years ago just going you know I couldn't be wrong it was his fault so, you know in my head and that's the labour the point but to go down to, to Monaghan is obviously it's it's risky in a way right because it could be the end that's yeah there's like, not much further you can there's no guarantee you're going to get the amateur football after it yeah. yeah there's no guarantee you're going to recover but you do recover and end up having like a really great by any standard League of Ireland career so in retrospect it's a great experience to go through I'm just I'm thinking of all this and your love of football like it strikes me that coaching or management is something that would be natural but you do have extra extracurricular interest like a business that, that's going on at the moment they're not always you can't do these things or it's difficult to juggle all those yeah it is and um, I'm kind of at a, a point where I don't need to decide straight away I might dip my toe in something but not fall in or you know it. Um, it's a big commitment going into coaching and management and it's a really hard life <laughs> yeah and let's be honest the industry just isn't here in this country yeah there's only a few jobs that are well paid you then go back into the to the same thing of I have a young family now and when I met my wife her brother played inter-county football so she understood the commitment and, and all that and the sacrifices so that was grand before that was just me I only had to worry about I'm making that decision it's me that deals with sacrifice then you have kids to come along I mean, you can't have a weekend away that from January days. to November. Yeah. And then you can't have a holiday or you get five days off in June and then mightn't suit with her work to take holidays then. Different stuff like that or the kids' school and different things. There's a massive, massive sacrifice that comes from not myself then, from everyone in the background. Yeah. And it gets to a stage then, I suppose, with the injuries now and if I go again, I'm going to miss pre-season because I have to have a small little operation so you're playing catch up again and I'm putting through I'm, I wouldn't be the best at home sometimes when you know when things are going that way so you're putting everyone through stuff that at home and they're sacrificing and is it going to be worth it are we going to get the reward out of it sort of thing so there's a, there's a lot of variables then that come into it So would you do a coaching role somewhere to dip your teeth in that way where you don't have all the responsibility of the Brian Gartlands who are coming to the end of their career and you have to manage the, that relationship with them and, and, and you're desperately hoping they come back for another season and they're, you know, yeah. or, or the 19-year-old kid who wants to go off and play in England and is really only kind of phoning in a little bit but needs someone to, to wake him up whereas you could just come do the coaching session, go home and go, I did a great job today. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in, I'm open to anything really. Right. Like I said, I'm just assessing different options. I have a few different options in terms of that regard and, I um, again have outside interests, but I, I, you know I always want to stay involved with football. And the outside interests, I'm hoping do well that allow me to to stay involved in football and have the life I want. Because like I said, the industry isn't here with massive money in football, mm. and there's only so many jobs sort of thing. So if my outside interests go well, then it allows me to to give back on the other side. Because um, I, I talked about it 
I'm just finishing my UEFA B course there and talked about it at the end. I said, I feel there's a, a debt to repay because I spent all those years as a kid playing, all the volunteers, all the people giving up their time. All Who did you play with when you were coming through? Knockline United be my local team. Right. And then I, uh, I jumped ship to Leicester Celtic just up the road and then uh, it was, yeah, well no that wasn't a controversial one the next one was because Knock Lion had sort of disbanded the ages changed right. and, or they dropped down league so I had to stay in the in the Premier and Leicester we had to come second I think in semi-final of the All-Ireland so it was a uh, it was good team and going places and I, I jumped ship down to Verona over Blanchardstown which for a lad that lives over in Dublin 16 and the M50 has been done it was like an hour and a half two hours to train and I'm back after school but it was a coach that was there and um, I talked about him in the, in the book there Alan McGovern he was with the FEI and I think the Ireland 14s at the time and he took over Verona and he had coached me at Knockline because he was brother-in-law of the, the manager right and I'd say like everything I learned in my me, in me childhood in terms of football came, came from him in terms right. of just reading the game, tactical, defending, things like that. He was just a marvellous coach. So uh, so that's why that was the that was the sort of controversial one when I jumped ship over there. What what role did Stephen Kenny play in your career and development? Massive. Um listen, it's it speaks for itself that I didn't win anything until I was twenty seven. I went to Dundalk when I was twenty six. Like like I said, I went down to the bottom and then just sort of scourged my way around uh, kept working I trained full time myself the whole time and at home I'd, I'd be getting uh, mid 20s I'd be getting a little thing going right, when are you going to get a proper job now or you know what, you, how are you going to get a mortgage and the brother then you know he's a few years older would be asking my mother the same questions and there'd be a little bit of pressure coming that way And <laughs> but everything I did sort of was always to allow me to give everything to football and then just when I was about selling for Dundalk, that's when I had the decision to make. Um, I wanted to come back. I was up north and I wanted to come back down. And I've been training with Shells, waiting for them to offer me a contract. They didn't. Mick Cook was going to Trotta. Um But it's mid-season, so they, they had nothing to play with. And again, the money was very little in the league then, 10 years ago. And out of the blue, Stephen rang me and yeah, my world just turned upside down. And I didn't really want to go because I didn't want to travel. But I couldn't turn down the opportunity that there's a, there was just this chance of a medal. They were going all right in the league. They were up in the top three or four. And, uh, yeah, when I was thinking, right, it's time to put everything else for the first, um, I just said, sure, I'll give it a... That's where the book came from, one last shot. I'll give it one last shot and I signed for the rest of the season for three or four months. And, uh, yeah, sliding doors moment. What was it about him that allowed you to reach your potential? Just gives you belief. Just belief. Like his enthusiasm for the game, like and his love of the game. Like I he'd we'd be doing shooting drills or finishing drills and after like if something came off, you know, that we'd sort of worked on and then it would seamlessly comes off, like he'd be off celebrating as well. Like he'd brilliant but the energy is infectious. You know, and then on the other side of it he's so demanding. You don't want to get on the wrong side of him. You didn't want to get on the wrong side of him. You said there if there was an altercation, if we'd had, well, what, what, give us some examples. <laughs> no, not an altercation. Well, not to me, like a disagreement. You're going to yeah. have disagreements, and like he say, well, you should have done this. You'd be saying, well, no, I did this, and yeah, you'll have different things. And does he listen? Yeah, to as you? you got older, <laughs> you might have had a little bit more bravery to right. say something. When you're younger, you, and at a lot of the time, you just have to say, 
Yeah. Fair enough. My fault. Fair yeah. enough for thing. But now and then you're going to you're going to give your opinion back and then you might the next time because you realise <laughs> you're better off not. But um but that's how the the relationship develops over the over the years as well, like so many seasons with him and um yeah, he just like I said, he's just he just brought the best out and everyone gave everyone belief and uh, belief to play a way that I suppose no one thought we could or especially with the players we didn't have tried and tested proven players in the league we didn't have loads of league winners and people that have I suppose a history of, of quality behind them And So what do you think when you see the criticism of, of him now as, an, as the Ireland manager from certain quarters? It's football it's football in the modern world like you guys will know better than anyone there's we take away the football first of all no matter what you do there's going to be a certain quartet that's going to have that other that opposite opinion right because sometimes football doesn't come into it and that's from my point of view that's how I see it because begrudgingly they won't want to say anything good when we do have a good game and then when we do have a poor game it's all in you know there'll always be something Um, I think the World Cup's the perfect example of it like you've no right to win stuff but you have to build something like Look at all the the top teams. When you, I suppose you you look at all the teams that have caused upsets in the last couple of weeks, and they've been building something for the last while. And it's just about structure. It's about belief and getting something there and bringing players through with that sort of way of playing and belief. I think the point you make as well about there not being a massive industry here where there's only three or four jobs, like mm. you know, uh, that's the crux of the whole problem is that we used to rely on England to develop everyone yeah Yeah. like coaches managers specifically players and that's gone now and what do we have in its place well like everybody goes oh 15 years of underinvestment but it's actually 100 years of underinvestment in the league basically since match of the day started on the BBC the League of Ireland has not been successful like there's a kind of clear correlation cause and effect everybody started watching yeah, TV and in England Sky came in as well sure. yeah. Sky played for the floodlights to move to Friday night to get them out of the way you know for the Premier League yeah uh, that's the old story I suppose back in the 90s and yeah. you know so that was even after match of the day there's another sort of thing pushing you pushing you out of the way and if you look at old um, attendances for the league back in the 70s 80s it was through the roof for 60s yeah. 70s 80s mm. because people didn't have access to football every single minute a day and it does feel low like in the last couple of years like there's a move from within the league to fix this themselves as opposed to waiting for the IRFU or, or the, the FAI or the government Freudian slip to uh, come in and, and help things and it feels a little bit like we're getting there but it's just, the pace is so slow it is but like you say that it's, it's clubs that are making moves themselves I think uh, the FAI are trying they've obviously a, a lot to fix in their in their house, you know, from we all know the the history there. So they're trying and they're, they're making moves forward. I wouldn't be privy to everything that's happening and going on in behind. So I'd like to be um, optimistic and think that they're doing their best. But um, what I'd love to see them is lobbying the government more and more and more because, like you say, like it's such a big game is that you need the support. Yeah, you need the support that the other big games get in the same way. But at the same time, football has to help itself. And it has to, it has to have a good image. It has to do its own work. And the clubs, I think, are doing that. And I think if they continue to do that, the support will have to come because the communities around the clubs are growing mm. uh, bigger and bigger. Bowes are doing a, a great job. It's very tough for the Dublin clubs because of the communities. If you're in a Dundalk, a Sligo, 
those type of things. You're one club town. It can be, you know, yeah. you're, at a, you're at a club. Yeah. But in the Dublin clubs, it can be quite hard. Well, they live right beside each other. Bows and Shells live right beside each other. And yeah. their, their hinterland is exactly the same. And mm. so they are competing. And then you've got the multicultural communities in there sort of thing. So it's not a sense of... Belong. This is my team. This is my area. I grew up, but you know, yeah. as I've all beat the Dundalk and stuff like that. So, you have different, I suppose, things like that. So that's why I think Bowes are doing a, a brilliant job in terms of that, in terms of commercial and marketing and that side. Um, they get a bit of stick for it, but that's what well, that's what's their revenues and yeah. their budgets bigger and bigger every year. When you talk about um, <clears throat> the one last shot, like you probably never could have imagined that the European adventures you'd have with with Dundalk, whatever, like. Playing at the Emirates, for example, or you know, taking on top quality teams in Europe—that must have been, that must have been something special. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was incredible when you think back at it, and you think like Zenit, and they've been in the Champions League year after year, and you're playing over there in that stadium, and the, the lights were something like Friday night lights. Everyone just remembers them—the old-fashioned ones—and it's an old stadium. They got a new one the next year for the World Cup, but, uh, and then yeah, arriving into the Emirates, and you're. You're pulling up on the bus and their cars are all parked right at the door. It's about, <laughs> it's about six G wagons with it, someone with diamonds all around them, and everything, you know. And you're just looking at oh, this is a different, it's a different world. Like Fitzel went for thirty million just after we played him, and Javi Garcia was in midfield, and Juliano was then playing in the ten for Brazil. Uh, Zuba up front, and then Kershkov, the the record scorer for or cap holder, I think it was our scorer for Russia as well up front, like. And it's just littered when you look through Crescito off Italy and we played Tel Aviv and we, we beat them at home. That was an incredible feeling. I'm playing against Benny Young comes on like and I've been a Liverpool fan, you know, my whole life. So growing up he would have been playing, you know, Champions League games and Benny was actually excellent for them, even though he was probably good age at the time. But uh yeah, it's just unreal memories that you couldn't have, I couldn't have envisaged in the League of Ireland. Like Obviously, the goal was always to go to England. It's always to go to the Premier League and the top. It's, it, it strikes me though you must be you must be fairly mentally resilient because like you you have that ACL injury in early 2021, and for a lot of people at that age, that would have been that would have been it. But I mean, you come back and even last month you you played against Derry up there, and you're one of the best players in the pitch. Like that probably led to some doubt in your head as to whether this was the time or not the time. Yeah, um, I'd have, I'd have decent game there the last game of the season and everyone's saying oh well you can't retire now you know your cruise it was grand but it's a different story having to do it day in day out Mm. you know and then that's the last game of the season I hadn't played many games in the season I think I played five or six because of injury so um, there was a little bit of doubt but then I knew I'd I'd, I'd injured the knee I'd done something in in September um, aggravated that knee that it's the ACL and I knew I had to scan it, but I decided I was just going to treat the symptoms and we'll scan it at the end of the season. Because if I scanned it then and it was something that they say, listen, you can't play with, then I won't even get back on the pitch. So um, we were worried it was the ACL, but uh, it turns out it's meniscus injury, so I have to get that. That's the small op I have to get done. So, um, yeah, but listen, like I said, it, it's easy to rock out once every now and then and do it, but to do it. Regularly is is a, is a different story, and it's hard on the body, like the intensity of the game. And we were in there the last week of the season, and there was two sixteen-year-olds because it was the midterm. Uh, Owen Kenny, actually Stevenson, and Sen and another lad were in, and I was marking on. I think in one of the games, and he's big, broad lad, athletic, and I just thought to myself, 
he's 16 or 20 years older than this lad. He was six when I met him first. Like I met him when he was six, and I just thought maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this is a sign as well, you know. Um, but great memories, great times, and you know sometimes you just have to. Just have to admit to yourself when when it's time. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck. Uh, as I said, it's like a, one of the all-time great League of Ireland careers, and you should be very proud of it. I hope it's a celebration now, and you get to like lean into those celebrations yeah. over the next couple of weeks because um, it's a good time for it, you know. Yeah, great time. I'm out with the lads actually for Christmas party Saturday, so there you go. That might be it, but uh, <laughs> thanks, appreciate it. Get the meniscus done after that. <laughs> OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.